Almost 200 years ago, Thomas Jefferson wrote a book. And uh, the title's maybe a little too small there to read, so um, here it is. It is The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. He was about 77, had written the Declaration of Independence uh, 35 or 40 years before. And what he did is he had um, a translation of the Bible in the Greek and in the Latin and in the English and in the French. And he had two King James Bibles. And he constructed his own way of understanding the story of Jesus and um, took a razor blade to those King James versions and sort of constructed, based on the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his sort of own unified version of uh, the Gospels, the moral and life of Jesus Christ. It has come to be known since as the Thomas Jefferson or the Jefferson Bible. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that. Okay. Um, so, what a wonderful sort of exercise in sort of religious philosophy, but also many people, as you can imagine, have, a lot, have had a lot of criticism of that kind of work. So, what's interesting about the Thomas Jefferson Bible is that it erases any of the miracles. The life of Jesus ends with the crucifixion. But he also includes almost all of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. Almost all of it is included in his sort of synchronized um, Bible, recognizing, I think, that the Sermon on the Mount in a certain way is this this high point, pinnacle moment of us to understand what it means to live and understand the kingdom of God. It is this beautiful, exquisite expression of God's heart for His people, for us. What should we live like? What will it be like? Who are we in God's eyes? If you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount in any amount of time or recently, I encourage you to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 sometime um, over this week. But all of Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is in there except, except these three verses that make up today's passage. That's it. Why? Let's pray, and we'll talk about it. Lord, I have come in. I know others have come in today also with a sense of sort of burden, um, maybe a sense of uh, distraction, maybe just a sense of too many plates spinning in life. Lord, it's my prayer today that uh, my own burden and distractions would not get in our way this morning. Would you help us to hear from your words today? Would you help us to see what is good and beautiful and pure and right and encouraging about your word today? Lord, many of us um, in this room also have their own burdens and distractions. We pray today that we would learn something of how easy your burden is. That we'd find our hearts and our minds giving our heart to you and receiving the grace and promise in its place. 
Your yoke is easy and your burden is light, Lord. Help us to see that today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. If you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer, and all God's people said, amen. Um, well, hi, I, uh, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and really glad that you are here with us uh, this morning. We are on the fifth of what we um, have been calling Love Local. So it's not only our series for the beginning of the school year, but also it is the theme of what we're hoping to do and be about as our theme for the entire year. You'll, we'll keep on giving us opportunities to step in and, and be really personally and purposefully engaged out in the world. That's the idea. That we would, as an expression of who Jesus Christ is, we would, we would look down and we would get a sense of our location. We'd look up and see who God has intentionally put in our path, and we would love intentionally and with purpose. Look down, look up, love on purpose. And what we've been seeking to say is this is the invitation of how God wants us to live. This is what it is that God wants us to be about. This is how we are called to say yes to Jesus and his way of life, to pursue a life of flourishing, not just for ourselves, but for our neighbors and for our communities, that we want to see the shalom of God be known in and through us. But I also need to tell you, from the beginning, as I've been working with our worship planners and pastors about this, I have had a worry. I've had a concern about this theme that I I just, I can't let go of, and I need to share it with you today. I have this concern, I think, because actually what we see today is that Jesus has it. So I'll be really clear with you, as we live our life through this theme this year, to, to love local, being a nice Christian is not the goal. I just want to be really clear with you about that. Simply doing nice things in a nice way for people that are mostly probably also kind of nice is not the point of saying yes to Jesus or living the gospel or living together here as we worship Him. We love local because it is the unshortened, the untruncated whole gospel of Jesus Christ. We live this way because it's the full expression of what it means to live Christ. This is part of, an integral part of the gospel. So let's, let's actually start there. Let me ask, let me start by asking this simple question. Do you know what to do to be saved? Do you know what to do to be saved? It's the understanding of the scriptures that humanity is both loved by God and is intentionally rejecting God. And we find ourselves in, well, a pit of despair from which we cannot climb out under our own power, under our own creativity, or under our own strength. We can't do it. But God, in His mercy, sends His Son in the flesh. And Jesus Christ shows us the way to freedom. First of all, he shows us in the Gospels his own way of life. 
And then he accomplished his salvation for us on the cross. Putting us on new, solid footing with God. He showed us what a human being is supposed to live like, and then he empowered us to do that by his own death and resurrection, giving us victory in and through him. Now, friends, if you didn't know this, we can have life by trusting in Christ and his work for us on our behalf. There's this very well-known passage that tries to capture some of this um, in the book of Romans, one of Paul's letters, and it goes like this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and that you are saved. With your heart, with your mind, declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Both say and embrace the notion that what he's done is also done for you. I don't know how many times I've walked people through this passage when I was doing youth ministry. Do you know what to do to be saved? Believe in Jesus Christ and declare he is Lord. Of course, the tricky thing is, and I've seen this many times, and maybe sometimes I've been guilty of this, we can turn that just into sort of like a magic spell of salvation. Just say the right thing. Just say the right thing. Say the right words, like a, like a Harry Potter spell. Just, you know, if you say it just the right way, then all's going to be well. But friends, what I want you to know today as we get into this passage a little further, salvation is not the right words. but it's heart repentance, where you believe in your heart there's a new way to live. It's not just the right words. The, the words sort of come out because what we've discovered is true without God and what is true with God. You believe in your heart that the work and the way of Jesus is the way to life. But that comes, I think, in a certain way, um, there, there become sort of two ways we can handle that that can be really difficult for us, and both of them we see in this short little passage. So let's look at the first verse again. Here it is. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who simply just says the right things will, are just going to get in. There's this danger to make sure that we don't just don't have just the, simply the right ideas about God. It can't just be an intellectual sort of assent to it, the simple sort of agreement. See, some will say, Lord, Lord, but they would have missed the kingdom of God. People have made this kind of um, an affirmation, there's, there's goodness in it. Lord, Lord, they've, they've proclaimed that actually Jesus is the one who is Lord. Lord, Lord, they actually, there's some fervency there. There's some passion. There's some interest. So they believe in his divinity. They believe that he is Lord. They, there's fervency and also it's public. 
It's not hidden under a bushel. But Jesus is worried that not that they just only do say the right things, but that they do them. A faith without action is dead. And Jesus is worried right here in this moment, after he's gone through all of this litany of what it means to actually live and embrace um, his way in the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's worried that people will say, yep, amen, and nothing changes. So right here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, this is what you should do with this vision of life. And it's been exquisite. What we see, if you read the entire sermon, is this incredible and challenging reverence for God. A clear and understanding sort of love and embrace for those who are blessed, even those who are hurting and lost and sin-sick. What we see is a call for a really renewed gentleness. We see a call to sexual purity and fidelity. We see an invitation for our speech to be both gentle and true. We see a call for there to be this astonishing care, even for our enemies. We see a life where we step forward first, seeking reconciliation and forgiveness. We don't hang back. And then Jesus says, for people who just say, Lord, Lord, they've missed the life. It's possible to just be in this room and have all the right ideas about God and, and actually miss a life in Christ. Let me be clear about this. Verbal confession must be followed by moral obedience. A verbal confession in Christ must be followed by a growing moral obedience in his vision for humanity. And what he says is it's possible to say all the right things, Lord, Lord, and to actually miss the kingdom of God. These things must merge. Our faith and our action, what we say and what we actually do, must find a way to come together. But ironically, this is the other danger, is we find ourselves simply relying on the goodness of what we do. That our works, he wants to say, our works also fail. If we put our trust in all our activity, that also is a mess. Here's how he says it in this little passage. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. On the last day, friends, some will say, but Jesus, I've done all the things. I've done them all. I did the mission trip. I led the small group. I served the poor. I proclaimed your name. I sought to be a nice, friendly, forgiving person. I confronted human depravity. Some of us will actually demonstrate surprising godly power. We'll, we'll prophesy. 
will cast out demons. These are good things that reflect the character and person and kingdom of God. We'll, we'll even do even things even greater than that. He says, God, we, we've done all those things. We've actually shown the kingdom of God out to the world. And then he'll say something shocking that I find really panicky to me. I never knew you. Turns out, friends, being a nice Christian is inadequate. To embrace the full life, to hold on to the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be given all of what God has in mind as in store for us, it actually requires more than activity. The buzz of religious activity, and there's a lot of it here, misses it if you think of it as being your salvation. So on one end, we have this, um, we have this possibility of having all the right ideas. We, we read the right books, we underline in the right places, we do all the things in our journals, we do all those things, and Jesus says, you're going to miss the kingdom of heaven. If it's not connected to something else, like being obedient to the will of my Father. And then we're going to have those people who are like plainly and obviously obedient to the will of God, who um, are an exhibit of all of God's power and His investment and the transformation of the world. And He's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Salvation must be more than saying the right things and doing the right things. Here we see in this tiny little phrase, this invitation to actually have God know you and to be known by Him. That's a heart thing, not just a head thing, not just a hands thing. Somehow, head, heart, and hands must come together as we seek to live and know the salvation of Jesus Christ. What we say, what we do, and why we say them and do those things must be intricately sort of interwoven and connected. Can I just tell you, oftentimes here, we are talking about and seeking that kind of integration. And I do think that Love Local is one of the ways that we can try to correct actually a flat spot. Last year, we spent an entire year focused on um, reading and knowing the Scriptures. Potentially, in and of itself, just being a head exercise. So what we've done after spending a year on that sort of endeavor together to now say, now we've, now we've spent this time sort of personally and privately in our homes and in our prayer closets, if you have that kind of thing, and now we're going to find a way to sort of live out loud and on purpose and out in the world in a way that is an expression of God's kingdom as we read about it last year. Friends, do you see that head, heart, and hands actually need to, to come together? That's what Jesus seems to be saying here. And almost always what we find is we find ourselves sort of leaning on one foot or on the other. 
Even denominationally, this is true. There are certain denominations or churches that lean really, really heavy on sort of social gospel, doing good things, having all that sort of be out and obvious, and people sort of pat us on the back for being nice Christians. And then there are some churches like, no, no, we have to make sure we know about the grace of God, and we proclaim, and we get it right, we have the right sort of understanding and formula. Generally speaking, our church and our traditions sort of stand over here. We want to make sure we get the head part right. So it's right for us this year to make sure that we emphasize that we love local. But it has to be done with the clarity of what it actually accomplishes. We do that because of what Jesus Christ has first done for us. It is an exhibition of the kingdom of God. It is a reflection of what he's already done in our hearts. If for a second we think that we've done it because we're trying to um, work our way in, to sort of just be busy bodies in God's kingdom, we have missed the invitation to know and follow the person of Jesus Christ. I don't want Jesus to say to me, I don't know you. Go away from me, you evildoer. Yeah, I think often we're sort of, sort of enamored with our activity. We actually forget the intimacy of the call to be with God. We're so enamored either of our actual sort of, you know, work or, you know, brain study, we forget the actual connection. And it's all the more true in the church that's this size because there's no avoiding it. A church this size is going to have, feel a little bit like an enterprise. It's going to feel like an organization. It's unavoidable because it is. And that's actually a good thing. God's people coming together trying to develop order out of chaos. But not if it becomes simply to keep on upholding the organization. We must know something of the heart of God, to believe in our heart and His goodness, to let that come out in the way we glorify the Lord with our mind and with our activity. Most of us forget that, that there's heart work and intimacy and closeness. We are so busy living for God, we forget we're supposed to live under Him. We're so busy trying to show that we know something about God, we forget that He actually wants to know us deeply, beyond the surface. So as we end here, we're just going to um, spend just a, a few minutes in a, a bit of a spiritual exercise, okay? So I'm not, what I'm asking you to do is, it might, it might involve a little more um, silence in your customs too. That's fine with me. I hope it's fine with you. What I'd like you to do is um, we're gonna, I'm going to lead you through a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you to sort of get as comfortable as you can in a way where you would want to meet the king in, the, in your posture. Okay? And as we do this, what I want you to do, actually, we're going to start, I'm going to ask you to sort of clench your fists. Not just lightly, but like enough to sort of realize you're actually doing it. Okay? And hold them there until I tell us to release. Now let's pray, shall we?
Lord, what we see in the Gospels is what has come to be known as breath prayer. That we breathe in and we would say in our hearts and minds, Jesus Christ, Son of God, and we would breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I come before you. We come before you. We are holding so much. Confidence in our own work, in our own thinking, in the stress of our day. Lord, we want to set that aside for a moment to simply just be with you have your heart become our heart. And so, Lord, would you show us something of the relief of being with you as we release our fists? Now, Lord, we want to know you and be known by you. Lord, in these next few moments of silence, would you speak to us about your great mercy and love for us? Lord, it is because of that great love and mercy, the truth of you coming in the flesh, that we now can come before you and and ask that you also would now ravage our hearts and clear our minds. Show us what must be pulled away from us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, you have commanded us to to intertwine head, heart, and hands. Would you now give us the ability to do what you've commanded us to do? To live with the truth, freedom, joy, and heart of the gospel. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you.